Well, if you'll please turn in a copy of God's Word to Genesis 17. Genesis 17, we are reading um, from verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. An uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, um, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I shall make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year." When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house Those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, now I pray that you would make your word a swift word, going from the ears to the heart to the lips, that we might tell others boldly about our Savior and the salvation available in him. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us unction and anointing, 
that we might be grown in your grace. Help us in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. What, what could water and a knife have in common? That's an odd pair, isn't it? A knife and water. But at different times uh, in the history of God's people, they have been used to administer the sign and seal of God's promises, His love, His covenant upon His children. The knife in the Old Testament was used in the circumcision of males and the water, bapti- water for baptism from Jesus' day until now, until the end of history. Several years ago, we took our children to, uh, to Ohio and uh, they needed documentation to get on the plane. What they needed was a birth certificate. But it wasn't just any birth certificate that they needed. It was uh, an official birth certificate. You know, one that had the embossed, raised seal on it so that they could get on the plane. Now, if we had made a photocopy, everything about that photocopy, all the information on it, would have been true. It would have been correct. But the thing that validated it The thing that proved, that professed that it was true, was the raised seal. Similarly, circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism now, they serve as a seal of the promises, the love, and the covenant that God has made with His people. In today's passage, we see circumcision, the Old Testament sign of the covenant of grace. We see it instituted in today's passage And it's not just um, applied to Abraham, but to all the males of his household. It was a marker that they belonged to the covenant community of God's people. It didn't save them. It did not save them. It didn't save anyone. That was a matter of the heart. But it did set them aside from the world around them. It was a constant reminder of God's promises to them. It, it was just like an engagement ring. Think about a man who gives his fiancée an engagement ring. Right? It marks off that, that girl, that woman, as belonging to him. And it's a sign of the promises that he has made to her. And so too, circumcision, the Old Testament, and baptism now, were markers, are markers signs, the recipients of the promises that God has made to them, marking them off from other people. When Christ arrives on the scene, He doesn't stop dealing with families. He had been doing it for thousands of years. Instead of changing the promises, He changes the sign. No longer is it circumcision, but rather it is baptism. Let's look at these connections between circumcision and baptism and what they mean. Well, when God called Abram and Sarai to the promised land, they were already pretty old. They were beyond the age of childbearing. Later, Abram tried to shortcut God's plan by having an illegitimate heir, a son by Hagar, whose name was Ishmael, which means God hears. But God didn't approve of that. He heard and He didn't approve. And now, from our text from last week to this week, it's been 13 years, and still no child. Sarai is still barren. She's only getting older. She's 99 years old. 
And Ishmael is, getting, uh, is 13. His body is changing. He will soon be a man. What, what will happen? Will he, will he marry and will he be the heir? Or will God come through on His promise? And so God reveals Himself again to Abram. And whereas things have moved very slowly over a great many years up until this point, things are going to begin to move pretty fast and furious. The time is right. The first thing we see in our text uh, is, is that names are changed. Names are changed. Anytime that a name is changed, it's a very significant thing. Um, it, in the Bible, it, it indicates a, a shift in status or relationship. And we see four names. Three of, two of them are changed. One is given. And then the first one we're going to talk about, a name of God, is revealed to uh, Abram and to us for the first time in the Bible. Look at verses 1 and 2. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. This, this name of God, God Almighty, you've, you've probably heard it before. It's the name El Shaddai, best translated as all-powerful or almighty, and it focuses on God's power and sovereignty. And if someone who is uh, 89 is going to have a child it's going to have to come through a very powerful God, right? This is going to involve the miraculous opening of the womb. But praise God that all the promises that God has made to you and me, that they are backed up by El Shaddai. That God is able to follow through on all His promises. And they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus because His power is limitless. That doesn't mean He has a lot. It's not that He has a bajillion units of power it's rather that it is inexhaustible in that there is no limit to it. It is infinite. And El Shaddai now tells Abram that he's going to have a, a new name. Not a new middle name, not an additional name, but his name is going to be changed. God changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. Now think about this one. Abram would walk into the local Cheers, you know, local sports bar, and they'd cry out, what would they say? Exalted Father! That's what Abram means. And how that would have stung, right? He had no children. He had Ishmael, an illegitimate son, a shortcut heir, as one author put it. But, but now, until Sarah has a, a child, he's going to walk in and they're going to say, Father of a multitude, Abraham. And that would have hurt even more. Right? There, there's tension here. God is renaming him as a father of a bunch of folks, and he still only has one illegitimate child and no heir. But God's about to do something. We find later in verse 15 and following that Sarai gets a new name, Sarah. Now both Sarai and Sarah mean princess. God updates the, the ending of it. But why princess? Why is her name why does her name mean princess? It, well, that's because kings are born to princesses. And we're told here, both uh, to Abram and to Sarai, that, that she is going to be the father, or, excuse me, the mother of kings. And this is true. El Shaddai is going to cause her to be the mother of all the kings of Israel. But more importantly, 2,000 years later, coming from her line, the king of kings and lord of lords, he will come from her line. There's one last name that's mentioned here, and it's the name of the child that Sarah will, Sarah will soon uh, bear. 
See, when God tells Abram that his 89-year-old wife is going to have a child when she's 90, how does he respond? He, he laughs. Now, sometimes I laugh at inappropriate times. Do you do this? Right? Sometimes it's just something's just so ridiculous, you just, you just end up laughing, and you realize, I probably shouldn't laugh right now. And that's kind of what goes on here. So God instructs Abram to name his child Isaac, which means he laughs. Names are always important. There's one name that's not in our text that all these people point to. See, there's one who would come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, El Shaddai would come, and he would be born of a virgin. He would be born in the line of Abraham. And what is his name? Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? But God saves. In this exchange between God and Abraham... He renews and He reminds and expands on the promises that He has already made to Abraham. He doubles down on the promise of the promised land. He doubles down on the promise to give Him offspring, adding that nations and kings will come from Him. But at the center of this promise, at the very center of the covenant, we could say the center of the gospel message is something that is extended to all those who trust in Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Where we see these promises and see if you can pick out the really important one. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Did you catch it? That he would be their God and they would be his people. He would be God to Abraham and then to his offspring and to their offspring and to their offspring. God is creating a covenant people. Remember, a covenant is a, is a treaty, it's a promise uh, that is made between God and his people. We looked at that in Genesis uh, chapter 15. And his people have been the recipients of the promise that, that he, that God, will be their God. Now, here's the thing. God is the God of everyone, whether you accept it or not. I have a cat. I don't like cats, but I like our cat. Gracie Lou Freebush III. And Gracie is my cat, even on those days that she doesn't think she's my cat, but an independent person. And that's how our relationship with God is. God is God. He is our God, whether we like it or not. The question is, what kind of relationship do we have? And so this text is talking about having a, a relationship of peace, a relationship of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy of reconciliation with God. They were special, these people. They were set aside. They weren't special because they were special in and of themselves. They, we, sinners, deserving God's wrath in this life and the next. Rather, they were special because He made them special, set them apart to be His own. And so as we trace the history of God's people in the Old Testament, this is what happens. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob renamed, God renamed Jacob Israel, who had 12 sons, whose descendants would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And through one of them, Judah, would, become, would come the true promised seed, the true promised offspring, the Messiah. Now these are pretty amazing promises that God is making to Abram, to Abraham now, and to all of his offspring after him. In fact, they're almost unbelievable. The idea that we can be in a loving relationship with the God who made all things against whom we have rebelled and sinned. 
this would take El Shaddai, God Almighty, for this to be true. We learned back in Genesis 15, 6 that Abram had already believed in God. He was already saved. Not because he was good or better than other people, but because he trusted in God and God counted it to him as righteousness. I have a sticky note. I mentioned it to the children next to my doorframe or on my doorframe as I leave. And it simply says, this day is not about you, it's about Jesus. And it's a great reminder, especially as it's a reminder for all of us, it's good, but especially as a pastor, it's been reminded that when I walk out of my office to go see someone, to talk to someone, to, you know, to talk about hard things or good things, this is about Jesus and not about me. I need that sign because I need a reminder. And God gives to Abram a reminder here, a physical reminder. God is in the habit of doing these things. He's done it through all, throughout all history of redemption. When we think about the rainbow, what a great physical reminder in the sky of God's promise that He will not destroy the earth by a flood anymore. Or as we come to the Lord's Supper, it is a physical reminder of God's love for us and what Christ did for us on the cross as we feast upon Him in our hearts by thanks, with thanksgiving. And so He gives to Abram a sign a physical reminder, something that would remind him of these promises often, and it was a sign of circumcision. God made a covenant, a promise to Abraham, and he gave him a sign. He said, hey, I will be your God, and you'll be my people. He gave him a sign of it. We call it the sign of the covenant. We see this in verses 11 through 13. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So Abraham was to be circumcised at 99, and Ishmael at the age of 13. And all the males belonging to his household. It was a sign of the covenant promises. It was a sign of belonging to the covenant community. They belonged, we might say, to the Old Testament people of God or to the church. There's a big question. Did this save them? Did this outward sign save them? And the answer is no. Romans 4.11, Paul says this, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. He had been declared righteous when he was converted. The sign of circumcision served as a seal of sorts, authenticating with an outward symbol what was already there. But it wasn't just for him. It didn't didn't save him. It didn't save others. But it was for his whole household, all the males in his household. And it marked them as a part. It marked them as belonging to a specific family. Now, they, they all had to call on the name of the Lord themselves. And that's because the, the outward circumcision pointed to an inward circumcision. The cutting away of flesh does not save, but the cutting away of sin from the heart does. And that's what it was pointing to. A change needed to happen in their hearts. This happened by faith. Deuteronomy 36 talks about this. 
And the Lord your God will what? Circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And as we look at Old Testament history, 2,000 years of Old Testament history, generation after generation was circumcised. Some were circumcised in their hearts, but not all. That required turning to the Lord to make good on the outward signs that they had received as a child. And so we finally get to our Savior Jesus, who was circumcised on the eighth day. And He came and He instituted what's called the New Covenant. Remember when we come to the Lord's Supper, what do I say? This cup is the New Covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. The New Covenant was cut, was made through His death, burial, and resurrection. He poured out His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So what do we do with circumcision? What do we do with these promises that God has made to His people and to their children? Well, some things change and some things stay the same. You know, Passover pointed to the Lord's Supper, right? The Lord's Supper really fulfills Passover. And the Lord's Supper has now become the covenant meal for God's people. And it has a deeper significance than Passover. There is an expansion. Do you see that? There's a, the Lord's Supper is better than Passover. There's an expansion of it. We do it more frequently and we feast upon Christ in our hearts by faith. There's an expansion of circumcision as well. Right? There's, there's now a, a sign of belonging to the covenant people of God. It was circumcision and now it is baptism. It's expanded. Now it's not just to men and to their male children but now is replaced uh, by water baptism, which is administered to, to boys and girls. And I, one of the highlights of my ministry was getting to baptize my own children. What a, what a blessing. Paul makes this connection between circumcision and baptism in Colossians 2, verses 11 through 12. In Him, in Christ, also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God and raised with Him from the dead. So, where circumcision pointed to the cutting away of sin, baptism primarily points us to the washing away of sin by the blood of Jesus. Neither circumcision nor baptism saved or saves anyone, but rather they point us to the promises that God has made to His people. What would happen in the Old Testament when someone who was outside God's people became a believer? Well, if he was a man, he would be circumcised. This was part of it, right? He he was saved not by his circumcision. He was saved by faith in God. But as part of entry into the people of God, he would be circumcised just as if we would baptize such a person today. And, And his whole family, all the males in the family and all those in his household would receive also the sign of circumcision, not that it saved them, but it set them apart and pointed to the promises that God made to them. And so when we get to the New Testament, the same principle is in operation. God doesn't stop making promises to His people and their children. That doesn't stop. The sign stops. The sign changes But the content of the promise does not. How do we know that? Well, Acts chapter 2. And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, 
and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God continues to make promises to his people and to their children. And there is more clarity now that Christ has come, right? We know more. We know how our sins are cut away. We know more of how our sins are washed away, and it's by the blood of Jesus. But the content of the promise really hasn't changed. That God will be our God, and we will be His people if we turn to Him in salvation. Well, living in the South, we live in a culture in which baptism by immersion, right, dunking, uh, is much more common. Right? And it's only administered to those who have trusted in Christ. It's, it's, it's much more prevalent. And, and we love our Baptist brethren and those who practice such things. Uh, it's important to note, however, that throughout history, infant baptism or covenant baptism of children, not just infants, but of children, is more common, just not in our culture. We don't baptize children because it saves them. Only Jesus can do that. We don't baptize them because it justifies them by God. The Roman Catholic Church believes that, by the way. Rather, we baptize them because they belong to the covenant people of God. They are special to God. It is like an engagement ring. If Men, if when you gave your engagement ring to your wife, was she like everybody else at that point? Of course not. She was special. Now, she still had to show up, right, <laughs> that wedding day, and I, and I assume she did. She had to show up on the wedding day and make good on that promise. That's a lot of like what covenant baptism, or baptism of a child does. It is a sign of God's love and that this, this child is special. And we pray for the day where they make good on their baptism, where they turn to Christ for salvation. Uh, last year... I had the amazing privilege of getting to baptize David Riles uh, and Emory at the same time. Right where David was coming and he was being baptized as a new believer in Christ, and we got to baptize his son Emory because Emory's special. See, the, the children of believers are special, not some like, because I'm better than you, kind of special, but because... The children who belong in the church have a pastor who preaches and teaches. They have teachers who love them and pray for them and teach them the Word of God. They have elders who shepherd their hearts. You have made promises as a congregation to the children and to their parents whom we have baptized. We ask you, now do you uh, promise to help the parents of this child and rearing this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And you've said yes. Well, at least I imagine most of you have. That's because they are special to God, and we yearn for the day where they turn to Christ. And as we remember the bab their baptism, as we think about the promises that God has made to His children and to their believers, uh, to their to their children. Well, there's so much we haven't said about circumcision and baptism. The big one's mode, right? We hadn't talked about why we don't dunk. By the way, dunking works, right? It's effective. It's a good way to get baptized. Uh, there are three modes of baptism, of dunking or, or immersion, we might say theologically, uh, sprinkling and pouring. We primarily do sprinkling and pouring here, mostly because the mode, we would believe, is immaterial, that it's not 
how much water you use, but what the water points to, the promises of God. And let's talk about that promise of God. You know, Dawn dish soap is a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? It really is. You know, it'll get grease off your hands when nothing else will. They use it to clean up oil off of animals. In my book, there's basically, there's basically no stains that Dawn dish soap can't get out. Right? Prove me wrong. Uh, just like Dawn dish soap gets out all stains, so the blood of Jesus, there, there's no stain of sin that it cannot take away. We are all hurt. We are all broken. We've all messed up big. We have. Have you messed up big? I know you have. Some of your mistakes I know because you've told me. Some of them I don't. We've all messed up big. We've all sinned. And not just in the past, but we continue to sin. We all continue to fall short of the glory of God. But there's a universal solvent better than Dawn. And it's the blood of Jesus. And it was freely shed for the remission of sin. So that all those who make good on their baptism, all those who have run, all those who turn to Christ in faith and repentance will have their sins forgiven and our souls made white as snow. This is the good news of Jesus. And so God has given us the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism to point us to this good news. And we yearn for the day where we'll sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb and physically feast physically feast. This is, it's not metaphorical language. This is a physical feast where we will eat with our brothers and sisters in Christ and our Savior. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of baptism of this sign of the covenant that you have made with us. We thank you, Father, for our children. We pray, Father, for their salvation, Lord, that they might know you now and always, and that you would bless their children with salvation and their children with salvation. Lord, that the legacy we leave would be one of faith. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.